Well, hey, everyone. Good morning, and welcome to Resurrection City Church. Uh, my name is Joel, and I'm one of the pastors here at Res City. If it's your first time uh, joining us on this Sunday morning, I just want to uh, give you a special welcome, whether that's here in person or uh, in our online audience. Um, I love that we can uh, worship together with, with people who are um, not uh, with us here in person through the magic of uh, the internet. So uh, anyway, welcome to you who are uh, joining us there. Uh, also, happy Father's Day to all the dads in the room. I uh, just want to echo what, uh, what uh, Laura said earlier. And also, happy Juneteenth weekend. Um, I know that was yesterday, but uh, that's something that we're definitely very excited about here as a church as well. I'm going to pray for us, and then we are going to uh, get started with our message this morning. Lord, thank you for the chance to gather uh, together this morning. Um, I pray that as we enter into this, this time in our service that is dedicated to hearing from you, this is, this is why we do this every Sunday, um, I pray that you would truly speak to us through the word uh, that you have given us in Scripture. Um, speak to us through your Son, who is the one who, who gives Scripture power and authority um, and, and gives it truth uh, to speak into our lives and help us to learn from it and also to walk in the way that we are uh, exhorted to by what Paul says to us uh, through the letter written to the Philippians. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, I, I don't know about you, I would imagine all of you have had some experience like this, where you've been a part of a, a, a team, maybe it's a sports team, maybe it was, it's a work group that you were a part of, um, uh, maybe it was a ministry team, some, something like that, where you have this bond with a group of people who maybe you didn't know at all, maybe you didn't even like that much when you first met them, but you found yourself as you were working with them uh, that you were, you, 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 had, you developed this, this family-like sort of relationship with them. I had the luck to experience this in college um, at, at North Dakota State University as I uh, helped serve on the, the football team there. And one of the uh, really fun things about that that really stuck with me was just the, uh, the degree to which all these people that were coming from different places in, in the country, we had people from all over the place coming uh, to play on this team, um, all sorts of different backgrounds who were coming together in this sort of harmony of a common purpose. People from literally Compton, Phoenix, Arizona, Texas, Florida, uh, uh, the, t the Twin Cities, uh, North Dakota, South Dakota, um, whether big towns or small towns, and when you get to North Dakota, even the big towns are still really small towns. Um, but like we had these people from all these different spaces kind of coming together. And I, I was always just struck by the deep bonds that were formed between people who I typically don't think I would have come into contact with or gotten along with so well. And that really left a, a big impact on me. And, you know, we live in a time where I think we're having a lot of uh, important conversations uh, about the things that make us different, things, conversations that are needed to be had. Um, but as we have those, I think it's important for us to remember the power of a common goal to sort of unite people who do have differences in some sort of deep ties that transcend them and lead them to work together. Um, and uh, psychologists, when they talk about those types of bonds, they, 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 there's a few different things that they might call them. A couple of different things that I, I read as I was studying for this are um, 
Identity fusion is one phrase that's used. Fictive kinship is another that you'll find sometimes used to describe it. And what it's describing is just the strong bonds that tie groups of people together. Um, and, and a lot of times soldiers are used as a common example of that, right? People who have a, a goal that they're working to achieve or they, need, they depend on each other literally for their lives to accomplish that. And deep, deep, deep ties are, are formed between them. Um, and one of the guys who coined the phrase identity fusion, a guy named William B. Swan, describes it like this. You give the group strength and the group gets strength from you. It's a sort of reciprocal relationship. And you do things for the group that you wouldn't necessarily or normally do for other people, right? It's a sort of uh, bond that makes you willing to do uncomfortable things or things that would normally feel uncomfortable. They feel very comfortable to you. Um, Things that are costly, things that you have to give up or you're vulnerable in the process of it. When you have these types of bonds with other people, those things are no longer costly or uncomfortable for you, or you don't view them that way because of the deep relationship that has been formed. Now, this summer, we're going to be going through a sermon series in the book of Philippians. And Philippians is a a letter um, that is kind of built around these deep bonds, this identity fusion or fictive kinship uh, between a group of people. But it's not just as a psychological reality, but I think also as a spiritual reality. Um, between um, the author and the group of people that he's writing to, where Jesus himself becomes the model of and the sustaining force and then the reason for what the author calls something called the partnership of the gospel. So we're going to talk about that today. Now that author of uh, of this letter is a guy by the name of the Apostle Paul. Um, he's a very famous, important figure in Christianity, if he's, if he's not someone you've heard of. And he writes it with, with Timothy. And, and, and as we open the letter up, we read that Paul and Timothy, who are servants of Christ Jesus, um, are writing to all of God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul and Timothy... Are, are writing to this church in Philippi. Now, at the time, they're obviously not in Philippi, but this is a church that they have a long relationship with and helped to start. And so actually, on Paul's second missionary journey, um, he's, he's, he's got all these plans about where he wants to go, and he's kind of blocked, right? All these different things get in his way, and he can't really go to the places he wants. And he has a vision uh, from the Holy Spirit that brings him to Macedon, which is in modern-day Greece today. And the first church that he starts, the first city that he goes to, and the first church, the first community of followers who follow Jesus that um, he starts is in Philippi. And they share some tough times together. It's, it's clear through reading the letter that they have this bond, that what they experienced when they were together really brought them together closely, that is still felt despite the sort of uh, distance between them of several hundred miles or so, depending on where he's writing this letter from. And Paul is writing the letter specifically about a few things, but one of the main things he's writing about is to just to thank them for a gift of money that they had sent him. Now, the reason that they had sent Paul this money is because Paul is in prison. Now, we're not sure where in prison uh, uh, Paul is at. A, a lot of scholars think he might be in Ephesus, and actually this is a picture of a, uh, a jail cell or a prison uh, cell in Ephesus in the modern day where a lot of people think Paul was actually held. I have no clue 
why you know people think that that might be the case, but that's what it gets thrown out as. But either way, it, it's it's helpful because it gives you a sense for you know what conditions Paul is writing this letter from, and. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about the fact that Paul's in prison in this series. So it'll come up a little bit because it's important to what Paul has to write. But a little bit of background on prison in the first century. Now, prison always sucks. I don't think there's ever been a time in history where prison was a place you, you wanted to go to. But it was a different kind of sucking in the Greco-Roman world. Okay, It's not necessarily like like a sentence, a place that you go because you have a sentence that had been brought on you. That, that could be the case, but it was really oftentimes a place that city officials would just send a person that they didn't know what to do with. All right, so if someone is causing trouble or if someone is not causing trouble but other people are causing trouble to them, you might get thrown in prison just to keep you away from everyone else to sort of keep any other riots or uh, disturbances from bubbling up. The city officials would just throw you in prison and they would just try to figure out what to do with you so that the problem wouldn't persist. And you could actually um, be there for a little while while the city officials uh, tried to figure out what to do with you. And in fact, Paul, he found himself in this situation quite a bit. At one point, um, he actually gets forgotten about for a couple years. And so he's sitting in prison waiting for someone, uh, someone higher up in, in, in the governor's uh, office to remember that he's there and that there isn't really a real reason that he's there. Um, so anyway, that, that gives you a sense for, for what it looks like. Um, and this is a place where sanitation is minimal, you'd have rats crawling around you, there's no toilet in your cell, right? It's, just, it's not a fun reality to be stuck in. And a really important part of, of prison in the ancient world is that there is no provision that is made for your welfare. There's no um, you know, money from taxes going to care for prisoners like, they are, like there is in, in, our, in our world today. Okay, so if you wanted to not starve in prison, you needed to have some way to support yourself. Um, and for someone like Paul, whose money was mostly made through uh, building tents wherever he went, it's kind of hard to carry on a tent-making business when you're stuck in jail. So you would need someone to uh, help you out financially. And you might have family or friends uh, that would do that. Um, but for Paul, he d he's, he, whatever city he's in, he's, it's, he's a... He's a, 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 a a visitor to the city. So he's trying to build up a group of friends, but he doesn't necessarily have it. So there's not any guarantee necessarily that he's going to be provided for, however long he's going to be in prison. And it's easy to imagine Paul, during one of his many prison stays, like having someone in the cell next to him starve because no one was willing to bring them food. Okay, It's kind of an ugly reality. Now, the Philippian church had somehow heard about Paul's imprisonment and had gathered a sizable sum of money amongst the congregation and had it sent to Paul. Okay? And if it, Paul is in Ephesus, that's about 350 miles away. So this is not a... Uh, in the ancient world, that's, that's really far. Okay? There's no cars in the ancient world to travel along. Traveling great distances is actually very dangerous and difficult in the ancient world, especially if you're carrying a bunch of money. So this is not necessarily an easy thing for the Philippians to do, but they do it for Paul, um, and this friendship that Paul sort of uh, draws upon that we're going to see here in just a second literally uh, is life-giving for him. So he's writing to thank them about it, and he sort of talks a little bit about the nature of this friendship that they have. So he... he um, starts out by saying this in the letter. The clicker's not working. Can you head to the next slide for me? 
Thanks. Um, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how long for all of you, with, uh, how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So as you um, read through this uh, letter, you start to uh, feel the love and joy dripping off the words, that Paul has got uh, nothing but love for the Philippians. Thank you. Yes, this will be helpful. Um, He's got nothing but love and and joy uh, for these Philippian people who've sent him this, and he desires for them to develop this love more and more. And at the heart of their relationship between him and this church, these people he hasn't seen probably in several years, he is referring to these strong ties. But it's not just a sentiment, right? It's actually like a real physical reality that it feels. You can kind of sense that Paul feels between them. And he has a specific word for it. Okay, so this thing that's real for Paul that he puts into this word we'll talk about in just a second, it's real for us too. Okay, and that's why we want to, I want to spend some time really camping out on this. Maybe you, you feel sort of that bond with other people in church, right? Or, or this church body, or maybe in some other church setting you've had before, you felt a similar bond to what Paul is talking about, or what I was talking about earlier in being a part of a group that is larger than you, that these bonds are really thick. And today I want to really break down what that is. If you've had that feeling before, I want to break down what that looks like and talk about how it's something that the church is supposed to manifest in all of its uh, settings, okay? So that word that Paul talks about is, is, a, is a word called kunania, and it shows up twice in Philippians 1, 5 to 7, where Paul says, because of your partnership in the gospel, and when he says in verse 7, all of you share in God's grace with me. So both the word partnership and share are the same Greek word, kunania. Now, kunania um, has a, you know, it's, it's hard sometimes, right, to figure out a good word for the Greek in an English setting. So words that typically get uh, used to describe kunania are partnership, fellowship, joint participation um, in, in, in some venture together, okay? It's, it's some sort of um, relationship between people that's sort of agreed upon and understood and is used for some purpose, um, now, uh, N.T. Wright is a scholar that I, I, I love, and he talks a lot about this, this concept. And so I just want to read a couple of quotes from him on this, from a couple of different books of his, where he really sort of develops what this looks like. Again, it's hard sometimes for us to understand what a word means in its depth uh, without, in just an English word, so it's good to sort of get a good sense for it. So here, here's, here's a couple of quotes along it. In Paul's word, kunania was the normal word for a business partnership in which all those involved would share in doing the work on the one hand and in the financial responsibilities on the other. The Philippians then are partners in the gospel, verse 5, partners in grace, verse 7, like we just talked about. They are in the gospel business, the grace business, along with Paul, and their gift proves it. And he says in another place this, Cunania can mean business partnership, but it doesn't get to the heart of it. 
And the heart is what really matters here. When our words run out, we need images. The look of delight when a dear friend pays an unexpected visit. The glance of understanding between musicians as together they say something utterly beautiful. The long squeeze of a hand by a hospital bed. The contentment and gratitude that accompany shared worship and prayer. All of this and more. So this is what Paul is, is getting at when he talks about this idea of kunania, partnership, fellowship. Okay? And like I said, maybe you have had a sense of this in the past. And I think I really do, I just want to say this you know, up front, I think we do this well at Res City. I really do think um, that this is something that we have, we have got down pretty well. But it's something we can understand better and continue to grow in. And I think that's good for us to talk about it, even if that's the case. Okay? You can feel that this is what is in Paul's words for them, this sort of felt bond. But again, it's, it's not just friendship. Okay? It, it's caused them to do something that is costly and comfortable for them, to raise money and send it across a great distance to someone who's, a, who's seen as a criminal. Right? It, it is not necessarily a small thing that they've done this. And in other places in Paul's letters, we actually find him use the same word to describe other, uh, other situations where something similar is taking place. So in the book of Philemon, the word kunania pops up again. And Paul is leveraging this sort of relationship between him and a guy named Philemon to encourage him, a guy who's a slave owner, to treat a slave as a brother, as a sort of equal to him, which is unheard of in the ancient world. And he even hints in there, like, maybe you go further than that and set this guy free. Okay? This is a costly, costly thing that he's asking this guy. But in both of the situations, in Philippians and Philemon, this partnership, this kunania, it is more than just fuzzy feelings. Okay? It changes realities. It brings to life new conditions that were not previously possible. And it gets people to do things in order to make that happen that are sometimes costly for them, that makes them vulnerable, that takes away their time, their money, their skill, their freedom, their liberties, maybe even like how other people might view them in a way in order to accomplish something that is a part of this bond that is directed towards something else. Okay? And there's an understanding of common need that Paul is talking about here as well. In a business partnership, both parties, they need each other. That's why they're in partnership, right? They're trying to accomplish something that is mutually beneficial for them both. And without the partner, that thing is not going to happen. And if that doesn't happen in some businesses, their livelihood might be affected, right? This might be an essential thing for their business to accomplish their goal. Um, for soldiers, we talked about them earlier. Literally, the partnership that you have with your soldiers keeps you alive, right? Um, Julie and I watched the Netflix show Cheer, right? And they throw people in the air very high. And if you don't trust the people below you to catch you, like, I mean, that's a really scary thing to do, right? But that sort of bond or fellowship that you have with those people makes you do things that seem kind of crazy because you trust them with your actual life, okay? When you find yourself able to fully rely on someone else for your li livelihood, right, then you know that something like what Paul is talking about here is happening. Now, Paul talks about this concept of unity in a lot of different places in his letters, right? He uses different words for it. He doesn't always use the word kunania, but he's talking about unity or fellowship. And he gives instruction many times um, to live it out well, 
Okay, it's absolutely vital for him. You'll see this idea of living together well and giving sort of um, practical steps to take to make it happen pop up all over his letters as you start to notice it, including some of the most famous passages in Scripture, right? You hear this uh, at weddings a lot of times. 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind, right? That famous passage. That's about the church acting well together, right? Sort of being patient with each other and loving so that their fellowship or their unity can be built up more and more. The fruit of the Spirit, if you just think about what makes that up, things like love and joy, but peace and patience and kindness and gentleness, those are things that are going to build up and develop the sort of partnership that the people in the church have with one another. And like I said, this isn't just like, you know, a a group of friends, like a, a clique of people hanging out, right? We're watching the show Friends right now, and, you know, a lot of people love that show or shows like it, um, because you, you, you love, you feel the, you love seeing the warmth of a group of friends like that kind of acting together as a, as a really strong bond of community. Now, what Paul is talking about includes that, but it goes further than it, okay? Because for Paul, it's a deep friendship that is headed in a unified direction, okay? Cunania is deep friendship that is headed the group of friends, the group of people who have this bond together are headed in the same direction. And for Paul, that direction that the friendship is, 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 is uh, trending towards is the gospel and then God's grace. That's the thing he, he, he directly um, talks about them for. So when we talk about uh, grace and the gospel, we're talking about with grace, this gift that is given by God to interrupt the pattern of this world of wickedness, injustice, death, uh, and creates new heavenly realities in their place. Something that we don't deserve that comes from somewhere else that changes the realities around us, okay? including our hearts, but also our relationships with other people. And the gospel is the good news that Jesus is that gift, and he's made it possible for new realities to be lived into by taking the wickedness of the world on himself and fulfilling God's purposes, okay? And so it's like a top that God starts spinning. God is the one that starts the thing spinning, and God's work happens in a group of people. I think that's something we always have to remember when we, when we think about the gospel, is it's something that changes realities of people's hearts, And so when those people come together, something is binding them together, something that is true for all of them that creates something larger, sort of expanding out the work that has been done in them to the group of people. And this group of people that that's all taking place in, that's where this new reality that God is doing in the world through gospel and grace begins to resonate out from. And so the gospel and grace create this, but kunania, partnership, fellowship, that's the sticky thing that holds us together into what God is doing in the world, okay? It's the thing that keeps the top spinning, keeps it from falling over, okay? It's kunania, it's fellowship with one another through the Holy Spirit. And then, and here's the really cool thing, that that thing that brings us together starts to become a tool for God to continue to accomplish his purposes, okay? That's part of the purpose of this fellowship is that it in and of itself that is created around a common purpose begins to advance that common purpose as people come together to work together to sort of uh, bring this reality of grace in the gospel to further places than it could be if it was just happening in one person. 
okay? I think we all understand the idea that we're stronger together instead of alone, right? That when people come together to do things and they have deep bonds of friendship, they can accomplish so many amazing things. There's so many examples from all of this. And that, I think, is part of the goal of this sticky fellowship or partnership that we come together to uh, in, in a common purpose for, right? It is that, that it can be leveraged to advance God's purposes in the world. So it brings us together, and it advances what God is doing in the world. And for Paul and the Philippians, that's exactly what's taking place. So this grace, this gospel that God has done, that Paul is proclaiming to them, has brought them together into fellowship, and it's literally keeping Paul alive now, right? It's sustaining him as he's this prisoner, detained. It's keeping him alive as the Philippians send him this gift of money, reaching out his friends. And maybe this helps him out of a you know, deep time of depression. We don't know for sure, but it sure would make sense for Paul to be sitting in prison thinking everyone's forgotten about him, wondering, is God going to do anything to sort of help me out and help me continue on in this purpose I've been called for. And then this gift of money unexpectedly arrives to him. And imagine what that would do for someone's psyche as they sit in prison, wondering what is going on here, okay? That's, that's what's going on with this. But also now, pay attention to the fact that this gift keeps Paul alive and makes it so that he can now continue that work even further. So the, the, the Philippians bond with Paul, the, the thing that makes them want to send to keep him alive because of their deep friendship with him, also now uh, allows Paul to continue on in this work. And I think the Philippians are very aware of both of these things are taking place here. So as we start to kind of, you know, uh, you know uh, uh, reflect on everything we've just talked about, I think you're starting to see some of the benefits of kunania here, right? Of partnership, of fellowship, right? Friendship, um, gospel, kingdom work. But there's more to it as well, if you really think about it. There's other vital things about who we are and just how we're wired that really are benefited from our being in partnership or fellowship with one another in the church. Things like experiencing grace, okay? Grace is something that we experience from God, but it's also something that we live out with one another and that people experience the grace of God through us. Okay, so when we show each other grace as a church, we're, we're showing each other the thing that has brought us together, and we get to literally experience that. And that really sustains people a lot of times through some hard places, feeling the grace and the love, the, the welcome that comes uh, uh, from Christ through us. It helps our mental health. I think there's a lot of research that says when you're in a, you know, a strong uh, community, that really helps your mental health out quite a bit, right? You're, you're far more equipped to handle difficulties when you have a community you can go to, all right? So it helps us out our mental health. Our physical needs get met when we have these bonds of fellowship with one another. We, we find that with Paul, but that happens in the church all the time. People are helping each other out with small things like moving, but also many other deeper physical needs that we have. It it's so powerful to know. I have a group of people who can literally help me out with this thing if I don't have anyone else to turn to. It gives us purpose, okay? Knowing our purpose is such an important part of what it means to be human, and when we're part of a community, especially one that is so uh, moving in the same direction towards the work that God is doing in the world, that is good for us to have that, to feel that purpose, and that is reinforced as we're together with a group of people. 
And then finally, it gives us a space to learn and to grow, to ask questions, all without feeling like we need to impress the other people or meet some sort of standard because the bond of fellowship is secure, okay? And this is why churches, including us here at Res City, have membership, all right? And, and, and our language about membership, if you've gone through our membership process and you heard me talk about CUNY and you're like, I feel like I've heard that before, it might have been through our membership process because we actually kind of built our um, membership idea of what it means to be a member at Res City um, on this concept of Cunania. So we want you to see yourselves as part of something bigger and to really commit to it to see that as part of what is going on when you become a member of Res City, to, to love each other, even though we're all going to fail at this, we're all going to let each other down, to continue to seek each other out in love, to become vulnerable with each other, to give of your resources, whether it's your time, your skills, uh, your money, your hearts, right? to be willing to give up those things to help each other out, to be willing to be challenged by others, okay? to repent of things when, when something is brought to you in the community. Um, to choose that the direction of your life is headed ultimately is in the same direction as the rest of the people sitting in this room or, or watching this online, other people that you know through the church, knowing that we each play different roles within that and will be celebrated for our different roles, understanding that no one is any more or less important than the other, but we all have a role to fill within that. Okay? And so the reason that we do membership is to, to just put a signal to that, sort of make a mutual commitment of like, I'm choosing to do this and the church is choosing to do this with me and I know that, I feel secure in that. Okay? And again, this is so important to us at Red City. If you just go to our website on our values page, we have one of our top values is living in community. All right? This is such an important thing for us is to make manifest what we think is going on through the work of the Spirit in us. We want to pay attention to that. Okay? And this is not something that's just sort of extra to the gospel. It's something that's at the heart of it. Okay? It's at the heart of what God does for us. Now, when Paul talks about this in Philippians later on, and we're not going to go into this too much depth because we're going to do a whole sermon on this later on, but he talks about a sort of mindset that it takes to make this happen. Okay? So while it happens, it's something that takes place through the Spirit in us, through us just being around each other. There's also things we can do to strengthen it, to live it out to its fullest potential. And when Paul talks about that, he brings us to uh, a certain mindset that is the mindset of Christ. It's a posture that reflects upon what Christ has done. Um, and he, and he t- says in Philippians 2.5, in your relationships with one another, have this mindset, this mindset of Christ Jesus. Okay? The goal of the Christian life is to become more like Christ, to, to follow him in our mindsets, in our thinking, in our habits. And so much of that is manifested in how we live with one another in the community. And when, when Paul talks about that, he's talking about others-oriented sacrifice, commitment to God's purpose. Um, that, that's what, he, what he's talking about. And I, I was so happy when, when I heard um, In Tenderness played today, because I think that is such a, like, when we think about that is what Christ does to us, right? He approaches us in tenderness, okay? Um, he approaches us through the grace of God to bring us close to him when we didn't deserve it. That's how he approaches us. When we're talking about what it looks like for us to live the gospel out with each other, we're talking about us approaching each other in the same way, in tenderness, in grace, in love, okay? And, and so um, I think it's so important for us to think about following Jesus in a way that manifests this fellowship or partnership in the community. 
Um, but I want to talk about several practical steps here uh, for ways that we can be doing this well. And these are not mind-blowing things, okay? But here, here's the thing. If you work in IT, you know a lot of times, have you ever had a, a call to IT and you're like, hey, my computer's not working? And they're like, is it plugged in? Like, or is, is it turned on? Or you know what I mean? Like, so, a lot of times the really basic things are the problem behind, you know, when something's not working right. And I think that's true in fellowship or partnership. If, you know, if we need to go back to the basics a lot of times and ask ourselves, how are we living this out? Um, and is this at the heart of why I'm not feeling sort of what, what, what Paul is talking about in the church? So let's talk about four different things here. Um, first of all, showing up. Now, when I talk about showing up, I'm talking about presence. And, and I think we all became aware of the need for presence with one another this last year and a half, right? We, we were literally not able to be in presence with each other. And not just the extroverts were starved for community and fellowship with each other, right? Like even the introverts, I mean, I'm going to guess by the time October rolled around, even the most introverted were like, it'd be nice to see someone else here again, right? We, we started to realize that presence is such an important thing. And if we learned that in this last year in the pandemic, I think we need to think about how much that matters for us as a church, showing up, being present with one another on a regular basis, okay? You're going to get the amount of this feeling the impacts of cunania, of partnership, of fellowship. You're going to get the amount of that that you're willing to put in, okay? And so if you're not willing to put much in, you're not going to feel much of those benefits, and I get it, it's, it's not easy, but that's kind of the point, right? We talked about how it can be costly to live this out, okay? Sometimes maybe you're, um, you know, it doesn't come easy to be friends with people that you know in the church, but how much more impactful is it to develop a, a deep relationship or friendship with someone who it's not easy with? I mean, just think about the power of that, how amazing that is, because we don't do that very often, okay? God put these people into your lives for a reason. Consider that maybe developing deeper and deeper partnership and fellowship with them is uh, something that God desires for you to have. Now, showing up means not putting a church or community group at, at, as the thing that can kind of get squeezed out. I think because it's something we do every week, sometimes we, we think, oh, I can miss it this week, or I can, you know, it's okay if I don't make it to this. And it, that's okay, right? But we also have to prioritize it if we're going to really get the, the, um, the full benefits of it, okay? We have to sort of be willing to um, keep, it in, keep it in there and be willing to show up on a regular basis if we're going to not sort of slip out of what Paul is talking about. And I can guarantee you this. Uh, the leadership at Res City, me, Julie, other leaders that we have, your community group leaders, we are always going to give you that commitment, okay? It is an important, important thing for us to give you that commitment, okay? But you're not going to get as much out of that if you're not willing to put the same commitment back in. No amount of, of the leadership of a church committing to you is going to, um, without you committing back, is going to get you to that full level of cunonia that Paul is talking about. All right, now, second thing. Uh, oh, sorry about that. Uh, second thing that we're... Um, that, that I think really helps us do Cunania well is protecting the sacred trust. Now, when, when we commit to each other in the way that Paul is talking about, I've been saying this a lot, it makes us vulnerable. And that is scary. And it's really scary, especially if you've, you've done that before and you found yourself hurt or betrayed by that. Okay? And I think it's important for us to pay attention to the reality that that can happen. 
Okay, that happens more often than we probably know, that people who you're in a sort of deep partnership or relationship with betray that in some way and hurt you. And breaking this sacred trust, it can look several different ways. In more simple ways of just ghosting someone, right? Of just sort of like, you know, someone is trying to get in contact with you and you're just like, I'll do it tomorrow, or I'm just going to not respond and maybe they'll forget I exist or something. You know what I mean? That, that's a simple way that we do this sometimes. And if you've ever been ghosted, you know that that just, it really hurts. Like it hurts a lot more than I think the other person realizes. Okay? So there's ways like that that this can happen, that we can sort of break the sacred trust of this partnership with one another. But there's more serious ways. Okay? And this is manipulation. This is abuse. Okay? This is more malicious types of abusing people who make themselves vulnerable to you and then using that in a way that really harms them. When you open yourself up to others and it's not protected and the other person is not uh, mindful right, of, of what is going on there, great harm can happen, especially when it's intentionally abused. And I mean, listen, the, there are lots of examples of this that we can find ourselves reading about in the news or hearing about from friends, right? It happens far more often than I think we would care to admit in the church. And when people are harmed by this abuse, all right, it can't have its life-giving effect because people are not getting this, the same thing in that they're putting in and because it, it makes people feel like, I don't want to go back to that. What happens if that happens to me again? And we have to really wrestle with the fact that a lot of people do feel that way. Okay? And when that happens, like God's purpose is stunted. We have to understand that God's work of partnership, uh, of spreading the gospel through a group of people, that's hindered when we abuse that sacred trust with each other. It's so important that we protect that, okay? So just consider, just think about this, how you interrelate with other people here at Res City, okay? You might not realize the effect that you have on others, okay? But I can guarantee you, when you join an interconnected body like this, your connection with each other matters far more than you realize it does. Consider, um, consider that, 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 you know, the, the, the fact that you're in that fellowship with people as you make your decisions and how it might impact them. All right, third here, listening to each other. Okay, listening to each other. The, the, the vision of Paul is the sort of radical embrace of all peoples, including people who are not like us, into this partnership or fellowship. It's a big part of Paul's mission is he's going to places where there are all these different types of people and he's inviting them into this. Now, we're not very good at listening to people who are unlike us. Again, I think we're all aware of this. I think we see this in society, how hard it can be sometimes to listen to people who are of uh, a different skin color or of a different gender, a different age or life stage, um, right? Or, or different opinions on something, political views or theological views or whatever it is, okay? It's hard to listen to people who are not like us. Okay, we naturally want to build up, uh, build up the differences between us, but we have to listen to each other in order to serve each other well, in order, so there's, in order for this fellowship, this kunania that Paul talks about to really go forth. We have to be willing to listen to one another. And then finally, and we'll, we'll close with this one, the last thing is this radical commitment to God's purpose. Okay? Now, again, for Paul, this is not just a, a, a click a friend group, right? It is that, but it's something far more. It's deep friendship headed in the same direction. And if we get off course, if we lose that direction with one another, then we become just a social club kind of drifting along aimlessly. 
Okay, and that is not the ultimate goal of, of, of God when he brings us the grace of the gospel to unite us to one another. It is so that we can move forward in, in unlocking these new realities that, that come from the proclamation and living out of the gospel and grace, okay, and leveraging that to use it, um, use it in the world, okay? Let's not neglect it. Let's be a church, okay? This is, this is seriously my prayer. I pray this stuff all the time. Let's be a church that's known for deep fellowship and friendship that is using that to accomplish great things for the kingdom of God. How great would it be if we were known as a church that when people come into, they, they just can feel it in the room, the, the deep love for one another. And I think, again, I think people do feel this when they come to visit us at Res City. But also they know that, that is not it's not just a group of people hanging out. Okay? It is people of common purpose who are seeking to creatively and lovingly live out that purpose with one another in the world, whatever that looks like. Let's pray here as we close. Father, thank you for... Um, giving us a roadmap of what it looks like to live in partnership or fellowship with one another, like Paul talks about to the Philippians. I pray that we as a church, through your son Jesus, would, would live that deep friendship out, headed in the same direction, God. Um, we know that we can, we can do a lot of work at, towards this, Lord. There are things that we can do to manifest it, but ultimately it is through your spirit that we accomplish this. And so we ask your spirit to be thick and heavy um, in, in us as a church as we live out the gospel of grace that has united us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.